So this was not a fun gospel. It's one of those where you want to end it with the gospel of the Lord. Yeah, maybe. It's not a passage that we expect from Jesus. The Prince of Peace, who says he is coming not to bring peace, but division. In fact, it begins a harsh turn from how we have seen Jesus through the eyes of Luke up to this point. Prior to this passage, there are seven passages that lift up peace and lift it up in a good way. Zechariah's song following John's birth, the song that we just sang, looks to all that God has done and it closes with God's desire to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's the kind of stuff we want to hear. At Jesus' birth, the angels sing of peace to all the earth, the very beloved passages from our Christmas. At Jesus' naming, Simeon declares that now that he has seen the Messiah, he can die, he can depart in peace. After healings, Jesus tells the people to go in peace. They've been healed. And when he sends the disciples out to the towns in pairs, he tells them to call out peace to any house that they enter and say, peace be with you. And then we get this passage. Jesus challenges those who think that he will establish peace on earth. And he wishes for fire to destroy or refine, he does not say. He talks about the struggle of his baptism for which he waits fulfillment. And he describes division as the outcome of his ministry. And from this point on, we're left a little confused. Because then follows passages like one that offers additionally conflicting views of peace. He talks about how those who follow him must hate father and mother in order to do so. As he's entering Jerusalem, there are cries of peace, but a desire for warfare. And when he gets to the gate of Jerusalem, he weeps over Jerusalem, wondering why people do not know the things that make for peace. Only after his resurrection do we get the Jesus we want back. When he returns with words we expect and hope for, peace be with you. So this passage seems to be, to me, a turning point. He's already told the disciples twice that he will be killed, and they still don't understand. They don't believe. They don't get what he's talking about. And now he has crowds that are so large that are following him, they're trampling over each other to get close. He's become a celebrity, a curiosity, a sideshow. And now it's time to challenge the people. As one of the commentaries said, it's time to cull the herd. Because they're getting the wrong idea about him. They don't understand. They think that following him is going to make life easy for them. And it's going to be quite the opposite. He knows what is coming. What it will be like for those who truly become his disciples. There will be persecution and torture and death. And he knows this because he too is facing the same thing. He knows that not everyone is going to be on board with the gospel he's preaching. And there will be division. 
And we know this too. I mean, why else would we ban the topics of religion and politics whenever our families get together? I know that they're hot topics in my extended family. If you are going to get through the Thanksgiving meal in one piece and still love each other at the end, do everything you can to avoid the topics that will cause division. So the story goes that there are two men who lived in a small village who got into a terrible dispute and they could not resolve it. And so they decided that they would each go talk to the town sage. And the first man went to the sage's home and told his version of what had happened. And when he finished, the sage said, you're absolutely right. The next night, the second man um, called on the sage and told his side of the story. And the sage responded, you're absolutely right. And afterward, the sage's wife scolded her husband. Those men told you two different stories. And you told them they're both absolutely right. That's impossible. They can't both be absolutely right. And the sage turned to his wife and said, you're absolutely right. (laughs) Avoid conflict at all costs, perhaps even the cost of truth itself. But if we do this, we never really get to the core of the issue. We never come close to finding solutions and to creating lasting relationships. We create the illusion of relationship founded on shallow agreement, on the least common denominator. And that is not peace, though we tend to be satisfied to call it such if it means avoiding the discomfort of disagreement. Now, at the same time, we can also fall into the trap of argument and blame. Again, in my extended family, only one name need be spoken these days, and all hell breaks loose. Everyone begins their defense of their position and blames others for the world's problems. Now, I don't know. Does this sound like your family gatherings? (laughs) Arguments can become heated. And more than just a critique, hate, hate flies rampant. It's a microcosm of our society. We recognize division all over the place these days. But it's more than division. It's become warfare, and everyone has an opinion. And according to each one of us, then, of course, we are right, and those who disagree must be wrong. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking about religious preference or political issues like abortion or immigration or even presidential candidates. No one wins the arguments, and the arguments come at the cost of us all. Jesus was right. He came to bring division. Not that that was his purpose, but it was his reality. He came to proclaim the gospel, but the gospel tends to divide. It divides because it puts our lives at risk necessarily. What does it look like to welcome the tax collectors? It looks like political suicide. What does it mean to be cared for by a Samaritan? It means associating with the unworthy and the unclean. How does following Jesus end? It ends in death every time. Or for us, it begins there in baptism. But do we really get it? Jesus brings division because the gospel demands that something is at stake. And it's rare that someone will risk everything to embrace that kind of message. And so we tend to find ourselves divided 
often trying to make sure we're the ones who keep our lives in case others have to lose it. But we're divided then over who is right, and divided over who is first, and divided over who is welcome, divided over whose rights are important, divided over who gets paid and how much and for what. We Christians, even within ourselves, are divided over what ministries to include and who deserves to receive them. We're divided over who is worthy to stand here and proclaim the gospel, and for the record, no one is worthy. Yet, some are called anyway. We're divided because these are important conversations, and there are big consequences to our answers. But instead of sitting down together to discuss them, we, and I often, argue through social media, place blame, post incendiary articles, conflate actions, tell skewed stories, boil down our positions to one or two poor decisions that make everything bad and generally make a mockery of our gospel. Or, on the other hand, we stay as far away as possible from the topics altogether just to keep the peace. I have colleagues who refuse to talk about any of these kinds of issues, political issues happening in our country because they're afraid of the consequences. They're afraid that they'll offend someone. They're afraid that there will be people who leave their congregations. And I know that there are some here who think I talk way too much about political issues. I want to be clear, I don't talk about partisan issues, but I do talk about political issues because the gospel is political. And Jesus is political. And the fact that this makes us uncomfortable is proof of what Jesus says in today's passage, that the gospel divides. And that is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It's not that we need to go out looking for division. It is a reality of our lives when we proclaim what we believe is good news. Luke wrote this gospel during a time when persecution of Jesus' followers was well underway. He, through Jesus, describes exactly what to expect when you follow Jesus. And then the writer of Hebrews that we heard today describes in more detail what the faithful have endured. Yes, some have conquered kingdoms and administered justice and quenched fire and become mighty. Many others have been tortured, mocked, flogged, imprisoned, stoned to death, sawn in two and killed by the sword. They've gone into hiding in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground, all because the good news of Jesus Christ challenges the practices and systems of this world. So Jesus says these harsh words to the crowd that has been following them. And I wonder how many stuck around after that. How many continued to follow just out of curiosity? I imagine that crowd shrunk a lot. He lost people in his congregation that day. People went home, back to their lives and their jobs, because the gospel of Jesus Christ was too hard. Because before the gospel can give life, it kills. It puts to death our false ideas of comfort and peace, so that through it, God can give us abundant life. That's the promise, abundant life, and the peace that passes all understanding. Before we live in Christ, we die, but we do live. This is not a popular message, and Jesus wasn't a popular guy, and following him, truly following him, probably won't make us very popular people. 
But I don't think that was the point. This passage is a corrective for those times we find ourselves worried more about how someone will respond to the gospel than about speaking God's truth in love. So now, though, this isn't how you're supposed to preach a sermon when it's all law and a little gospel at the end. This is what we get today. (laughs) Because here's the thing. Here's the good news. We don't need to be afraid of conflict, of disagreement. We should enter into it. Now, at the same time, we don't need to be seeking it either. And it doesn't need to lead to violence. Instead, we, nearly, we, mere, we need to be ready to meet it the way Jesus met his conflict, with grace and humility, ready to ask questions, not just tell people they're wrong. And in the end, we can look again to Scripture to remind us that division isn't the only thing the gospel does bring. When we find ourselves behind those locked doors, struggling against fear and despair, the risen Jesus will always come into the room with the words, Peace be with you. So peace be with you, even when you are in disagreement or conflict or argument or discomfort. Peace be with you. Amen.